Recently, I have heard several politicians speak about the exceptionalism of America. If America is an exceptional country, what is it that makes us exceptional? It is my belief the simple answer to that is our belief in the Word of God and the God of the Word. The first English Bible published in America was approved by Congress September the 12th, 1782. The first published English Bible in America was funded by Congress and recommended to the citizens of the United States by Congress. John Adams wrote, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. In 1864, the words, in God we trust, were inscribed for the first time on a two-cent coin. Our monuments are inscribed with verses of Scripture. In both the House and the Senate chamber, the words, in God we trust, are displayed. Moses is depicted in the Supreme Court building. The Washington Monument has many different scriptures included in it, including Proverbs 10.7, 22.6, and Luke 18.16. So if America, then, is an exceptional nation, what is it that has caused us to be unlike other nations? What has caused us to be exceptional? It has been our commitment to the Word of God, and yet... There are those today who wish to remove that that has made us an exceptional nation. I read an article by Brian Trent who wrote, Fundamentalists are those people who believe the Bible is the Word of God, are nothing less than our own Taliban wannabes. They stand for a perverse rape of the constitutional wall of separation, Theological dominion over a land of the free, it's worse than disingenuous. It is traitorous to American liberty, including religious freedom itself. Today I want to speak to you about our freedom. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 28. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now also. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman." So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Now, we all celebrate freedom. We talk about freedom. But if we are going to maintain our freedom, then, ladies and gentlemen, we must be committed to it. You see, freedom is a choice. 
That, that is one of the reasons sometimes I get a little upset with our country's foreign policy, because I think our intentions are good, but we want to give freedom to other nations. Freedom is not something that one nation gives to another nation. It is something that nations choose for themselves, because freedom is a choice. Our spiritual freedom is a choice. When the Lord created this world, He created Adam and Eve, placed them in the Garden of Eden, and then He said to them they had a choice to make. From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. So the Lord then arranged the garden to say to them, you are going to have a choice to make. And if you obey me, then you have life. And if you disobey me, then there is death. But it is a choice that man must make. When our forefathers established this country and our founding documents, they chose to give us freedom of religion. And in the First Amendment, we have the, the, uh, uh, the clause that you are familiar with, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Now, that is the establishment clause. But did you notice in that that the only restriction given is to the government, not to the people who practice religion? We hear a lot about the establishment clause and what it does. But what does it actually say? Well, it prohibits Congress from establishing a state church. You see, our forefathers had come from such an environment and they didn't want it in their government. They didn't want their government to establish a state church. And so it prohibits that. The Establishment Clause also prohibits the government from interfering with our worship or limiting our worship. In other words, the government's responsibility, according to the Constitution, is to protect your religious freedom, not suppress it as we see today. If we are going to have freedom in the future, we must be absolutely committed to keeping it because religion and freedom is a choice. And our freedom is fragile. It is not guaranteed. It can be taken away by forces that are more powerful. And we see that oftentimes concerning Israel, how an outside force would take away their freedom because the outside force was more powerful. For instance, Egypt was more powerful than Israel. They believed that Israel was becoming perhaps more powerful than they, so they took Israel's freedom away. And the Bible says in Exodus 1.11, So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. So Egypt then, because they were more powerful than Israel, took their freedom away from them. Nebuchadnezzar, along with the Babylonian army, took the people of Israel into captivity and exiled them because they were more powerful than Israel. During the days of Jesus, Israel was subject to Rome because Rome was more powerful than they. 
Well, you and I know that our freedom is under attack by outside forces today. We're familiar with that. We have seen 9-11, the shoe bomber, the underwear bomber, the Times Square bomber. We have seen all those things, and as a result of it, our freedoms, many of our freedoms have been lost. If you've been to the airport, you know the result of these attacks. You have been patted down, put through the x-ray machine, taking off your shoes, all of those things. You see, folks, what has happened is as we are attacked from outside, we lose so many of our freedoms. And that causes us to ask the question, as we see the results of terrorism within our nation, is it possible then for us to live in peace with extremist Muslims? Is it possible for us to do that? And the answer is yes. If you are willing to submit yourself to the Muslim religion. In fact, I'm reading a book, God's War on Terror, in which the author, who was a Muslim terrorist, became a Christian, wrote, Osama bin Laden made this quite clear. So did Ahmadinejad and thousands of Muslim leaders. This is really the crux of the whole issue. One statement. That's all. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his messenger. Now, if we are willing to do that as a people, then we can have peace. But if we do that, then we lose the freedoms that we have enjoyed and in this country. So we understand that our freedoms are fragile, that they can be taken away. We also understand that there is a more insidious danger that we can give our freedoms away. Arnold Toynbee wrote, An autopsy of history would show that all great nations commit suicide. All great nations commit suicide. Freedom becomes too much of a struggle. I mean, we, we value freedom. We sing about freedom. But there can come a time when it is too much of a struggle for us to remain committed to it. After Israel was freed from Egyptian bondage, they came to the place where they were willing to give up on the idea of freedom. And the Scripture says in Genesis 47:19, Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food and we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. Now, why were they willing to sacrifice their freedom? Here are people who had been in bondage to the Egyptians, and now they come to the place to say, well, we are willing to give up our freedom. Why? Well, first of all, because they had an unrealistic focus. In Numbers chapter 11, verse number 5, the Scripture says, We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic. Can you imagine that? They focused on the food they had when they were in Egypt and forgot all about the bondage of the Egyptians. They focused on the food, the, the benefits they had, rather than on the bondage. Secondly, they had ungrateful hearts. Numbers chapter 11, verse number 6 says, But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except for this manna. God had provided food for them. But they said, you know, I am sick of eating manna. I mean, it's scrambled manna in the morning. 
manna sandwiches at noon, manna stew in the evening, and manna does. I am sick of manna. I would like to have something else to eat. And so because they didn't like the manna or they grew tired of the manna, they became ungrateful. Let me ask you a question, not for you to answer except to yourself. Are we ready to give up on our freedom? Now, I know that you would say no, but honestly, are we willing and ready to give up on our freedom to our enemies for false peace? Are we tired of fighting for our freedoms? We're just tired of it. And so we're ready to give it up if we can have a false peace. Somerset Maughan warned, Any nation that thinks more of its ease and comfort than its freedom will soon lose its freedom. Are we at that point where we are ready to give up our freedom to the government for false security? If I can just be secure, that's really what I want. Norman Vincent Peale wrote, Once we roared like lions for liberty, now we bleat like sheep for security. Is the driving force in us now that we want to be secure more than we want freedom? That I am willing to, to give my money to the government if they will just give me a stipend, if they will take care of me, if I will be financially secure? Am I at the point where I'm willing to give up my freedom to make decisions for myself and I let someone else make decisions for me? Is that where we are? Is that where we have come? That the freedom has become too cumbersome for us, too burdensome for us, and so we're just ready to give it up if someone will take care of us. If we're going to have freedom, ladies and gentlemen, we have to be committed to it because freedom is fragile. And then I also see that consistency secures freedom. In chapter 5, verse number 1, Paul wrote, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Keep standing firm. As he speaks about freedom, he says to us that we have to persevere because liberty is always unfinished business. There are some things for which we should be consistent. We should be consistently grateful. I hope I never get over being an American. I was at Fort Jackson Friday night with my family, and we saw the fireworks and the tattoo and all of that that was celebrated there. And as I watched and I saw all those soldiers out there, I thought, I'm so glad the Lord let me be an American. I'm so glad, I'm so glad that God has given us the freedom to worship, that we can assemble together. We may not all agree, and I know that we don't. But we can all assemble together and worship the Lord. Folks, do you realize that most of the world or much of the world does not have that freedom? And apparently it's not that precious to most Americans because most Americans are certainly not in church today. I'm grateful that God has given us a place where we can worship. I am grateful that the Lord has given us the ability to work, to produce, to do something. I was talking with Richard Johnson. He said, you know, I've... And, of course, Richard has a slew of kids, you know. I mean, he, he has six children. I said, you know, when they all start having babies, you're going to have 80 people over for, for Christmas. 
But Richard said, you know, I've never been able to give them a lot, but I've given them this. I've given them an education and a work ethic. Therefore, they can be successful in life. I'm so glad that the Lord has given us a place where we can work. I'm so glad that we have a country where we can succeed. Yes, there is a risk involved, but there is the possibility of success. I I, I risk within this country, but in doing so, there is the possibility of reward. We need to be consistently grateful, and we need to be consistently on guard, defending our religious freedom. Today there is a, an irresponsible bias against Christianity. Our history is revised to exclude the influence of Christianity in this country. Our culture becomes increasingly hostile to our faith. It's a mystery to me. It really is. In fact, it was, um, it was last month, as July's last month, Governor Rick Perry of Texas called for a day of Christian prayer and fasting. I believe it's scheduled for this month. I'm not sure. For a nation in crisis. Now, that sounds... I mean, I wish all of them would do that. I mean, I wish all of our leaders would come to the place and say, Folks, we need to seek God. We need to come together and, and, and ask the Lord to forgive us. We need to seek God. And so... I read that and I thought, wonderful, I hope it spreads across the nation. But, you know, not everybody felt that way. In fact, I read an article by John Faircloth, executive director of the Secular Coalition for America, commenting on Governor Perry's uh, call. And he wrote, the last thing our officials should do in times of a national struggle is promote a divisive religious event that proposes no real solutions to our country's real-world problems. Michael Stone wrote, The idea of a governor looking to prayer to solve the problems of state is inappropriate, if not negligent. They're dangerous legislation that attacks our values and our beliefs. Mike Huckabee wrote a simple government. He wrote, our culture has inherited invaluable political boundary stones from the founding fathers. We have moved the boundary stone of freedom and by trading individual liberty for government dependency, no longer find our pathways to knowledge of the true meaning of liberty. We have moved the boundary stones of marriage. We have moved the boundary stones of family by having some judges and some state legislatures redefine what marriage means. You see, folks, I want you to understand, and I know that you do, that there is a battle going on about the basic beliefs morals and values of this country and we must be diligent in defending the faith on which this country was built and we also must be consistently faithful to our spiritual heritage america was founded on faith the pilgrims expressed their reason for coming here in the mayflower compact when they said they had come for the glory of god and the advancement of the christian faith 
America has been established in faith. And George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and others have called us back to God during those times of great need within our country. And America has been sustained by faith. You know why you're here today? Do you know why you have the freedom to be here today? Because of the faith of those who preceded you and me. Because of their commitment, because of their faith, because of their belief. And you and I are blessed because of their faith. We must consistently be committed to our freedom. Thirdly, caution protects freedom. Chapter 5, verse number 1. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Tyranny stalks our freedom today. What are the enemies to our freedom? The greatest enemies to our freedom, what are they? I would say, honestly, number one would be selfishness. We have become a people who are more interested in what is in it for me rather than in what is in the best interest of our country. You remember when John Kennedy was inaugurated as president? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I wish we would go back and heed that again. But see, we are all so wrapped up in my own portfolio, in in my own interest that we forget about what is really best for America. I think selfishness is one of the greatest threats to our freedom today. Indifference. We know what's happening. We see our freedoms being eroded. We see our speech, freedom of speech, being taken away. We go to the airport. We understand that so many of our freedoms are being taken away. Our freedoms are being taken away, and yet we're indifferent to it. That's just the way that it is. It's necessary for us to be safe. We become indifferent. Third enemy is comfort. We are more interested in being comfortable today than we are in being free, I'm afraid. Freedom sacrifices, it always has. It requires sacrifice from those who would be free. I I think about Moses when the Lord called Moses and said, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of bondage to freedom. And when Moses stood before Pharaoh saying, let my people go, his life then was in danger. Pharaoh, you have no right to the people of God. Let my people go. And his life was endangered. Patrick Henry, in 1775, delivered a speech to the Second Revolutionary Convention of Virginia. He concluded with these words. Is life so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, Almighty God, I know not what course others may take, but it's for me. Give me liberty or give me death. Are we still willing to sacrifice for liberty? Are we still willing to pay the price for freedom? George Washington in his first inaugural address said, It is a strenuous thing, this living the life of a free people. It is, isn't it? It is a strenuous thing. It is a demanding thing to live the life of a free people.
Probably most of you have seen the Washington Monument. You've been there. Perhaps you have been up in the Washington Monument. What you may or may not know is that on the pinnacle of the monument, there is an aluminum cap that has four sides. On the north side, it lists the members of the Joint Commission in charge of the Washington Monument Project. On the west side, it records the date of the laying of the cornerstone. On the south side, it records the names of the chief engineer, architect, and some workmen. On the east side, it simply says, Laos Deo. Praise be to God. That is on the top of the Washington Monument. Praise be to God. Freedom. We must be diligent to preserve it. We must be committed to preserve it. But you'll notice where freedom comes from in verse number 1 of chapter 5. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. If you want real freedom, ladies and gentlemen, you will only find it in Jesus Christ. He is the one who paid for our sins, took our place on the cross, that we might be free. Do you know Him? Do you know Jesus? Do you know the freedom that He gives? If not, I plead with you today that you commit your life to the Lordship of the Lord Jesus and He will give you the freedom that only He can give. Our gracious Father in God, we come to a time to extend an invitation, an invitation that is from You to become a child of God. And Lord, I pray today for those who have never come to know Jesus. Lord, they're in the bonds of sin, and I pray today they might be set free as they commit their lives to You. Father, I pray also for those who need a church family, that they would feel comfortable to come and be a part of ours. pray that you would bring them today. But bless this invitation time in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing. The invitation is extended. If you're here without Jesus, would you commit your life to Him today? If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please, as we stand. The choir sings as they sing, You Come, I Greet You Should Do.